Hello, and welcome back to Emotions and Potions, a love slash hate letter too, with your fabulous hosts Ashton and Alex. And this week, Alex, we're doing a vampire romance. Yes, as we take on Scarlet St. Clair's King of Battle and Blood. We're both Scarlet St. Clair fans. Yes, I'm surprised it took us this long to read this book. Same. How about we just dive right into these content trigger warnings? All right. So we have loss of a loved one, grief depiction, drinking of blood, gore, murder, monsters, witchcraft, graphic sex, torture, slavery, control, abuse, and some tropes. Good old-fashioned enemies to lovers. Faded mate. Touch her and die. Love it. We'll burn the world for you. Well, sounds like we're going to be in for it. Almost definitely. And let us know how in for it we are with that plot synopsis. All right. An instant U.S. Today bestseller from fan favorite Scarlett Sinclair, the best-selling author of the Hades and Persephone series, comes a new fantasy filled with danger, darkness, and insatiable romance. Their union is his revenge. His old Delara considers her wedding day to be her death day. To end a year's long war, she is to marry vampire king Adrian and kill him. But her assassination attempt is thwarted, and Adrian threatens if Isolde tries to kill him again, he will raise her as the undead. Faced with the possibility of becoming the thing she hates most, Isolde seeks other ways to defy him and survive the brutal vampire court. Except it isn't the court she fears most, it's Adrian. Despite their undeniable chemistry, she wonders why the king, fierce, savage, merciless, chose her as consort. The answer will shatter her world. Ba-dum-bum-bum. That was a good one. Okay, you know that you're having, it's a vampire, it's a forced marriage. From enemies, people who are supposed to, like, hate and fear each other. But, like, the big plot stuff that happens, because I feel like that synopsis is, like, the first quarter of the book in the book he does tell is old that if she tries to kill him he would turn her yeah like that's so specific and such a minor part of the book that i'm like that's what's in the plot synopsis it could be better it could i mean it doesn't give anything away but at least those like big woe moments with the plot are still kind of kept secret right and then with the title at least you know there's going to be a battle right and some blood. Yeah. And vampires, so blood, obviously. Right. No, it's not a bad synopsis. I'm just kind of surprised that that's the synopsis. Yeah. The synopsis. That's just, all. It could be a little better. It's just, it's very, it's very... Uh, Vague. Yeah. It gives you nothing. So you're definitely in for a lot of surprises. And as this we book gives us a lot. <laughs> all right. So now that we've kind of, we've given you the plot uh, synopsis, we've given you some content trigger warnings, how about we jump right into our potion? Alex, what concoction have you created this, for the king of battle and blood? This goblet of a drink. Yeah, it literally is a goblet. And what is in said goblet? So this is blood of dis sangria. Yummy. Okay, so sangria. Yeah. So is it kind of your basic sangria? Pretty much, and I gave it a little bit more of a fall twist with... It being fall. It being fall. <laughs> Um, So it has some traditional Spanish sangria, and typically with sangria, you would add either brandy or rum to it. I added blood orange liqueur to kind of go with the king of battle and 
blood. Also, I had it on hand, so. Yeah, we've used blood oranges before, so it, I feel like it's something that you have yep. around the house most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> and then I added some brown sugar, simple syrup, some cinnamon, and a little bit of honey. That sounds like a really good sangria. I actually... And of course, like some cut up fruit, like apples and some oranges. It sounds like a really good sangria. And I like sangria. So I think this one is a hole in one. Yes. Let's, let's give Cheers. this bad boy a taste. Yeah, that's good. There's like no bitterness to it. There's no after burn taste, which is the main reason I hate alcohol. Like, fuck that. Um, which is another reason why I added the cinnamon and the honey. Yeah, that is really good. I do get that like cinnamon taste. So it, it definitely is like the perfect fall sangria. Mm -hmm. Is this an is this a potion that you did not try out before today? Duh. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> if well, it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah, I know. You you have yet to fail, so let's just keep trucking with what you're doing because it's working. <laughs> So make sure that if you're interested in seeing kind of the full breakdown of this drink, if you want to make it, head over to our Instagram. It'll be in our description of the episode, Emotions and Potions Pod. Eventually it makes it to TikTok. Eventually. I'm very bad at TikToks. Oh, God. Yeah, we're not even going to go into that one. Um. We discovered today that Ashton has six of the potion recipes. Like dedicated TikTok videos just saved in the drafts. Haven't touched them, haven't edited them. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. They're just working on it. Okay. But they it's will be funny, on TikTok though. eventually. Emotions and Potions Pod, you'll be able to find us on any social media or platform. But the recipe is also still on the Instagram and it's still technically on the TikTok when I upload all the slides yes. to it. <clears throat> so, Alex. Now that we have our drinks and we're going to be drinking throughout this episode, yes. I think we need to just spoil this shit out of this book. Yeah, and we're going to switch it up a little bit. We're going to do like a less intense, invasive plot summary breakdown. So we're going to kind of go over the cast of characters before we absolutely ruin everything for you. Ashton, you kick us off with these band of merry, fair weather friends. All right, so the first character, our main female lead, her name is Isolde. She is the princess of Lara. She's a warrior. She's human, and she is raised to fear and hate vampires. Then we have Killian. He's the commander of the Lara army. He's a former lover of Isolde, and he's also a human. And then we have Henry, who is king of Lara, Isolde's father, and who is also human. And we got Nadia, who is Isolde's maid and mother figure, also human. Then we have Adrian, the super sexy vampire king of Revica. And he can read minds. And he's also a vampire, so he drinks blood. Yeah. And is supernatural. <laughs> <laughs> and we have Soren, who is a vampire guard in Adrian's army. He's a part of Adrian's inner circle. He turns into a falcon and is a great hunter and tracker. And he gets pretty close with Miss Isolde. Now we have Mia, who is a vampire guard in Adrian's army. And she also forms a bond with Isolde. And then we have Isaac, who is a vampire guard in Adrian's army. And Isaac, Mia, and Soren are kind of like the three musketeers of this guard. Then we have Darak who is the commander of Adrian's army, personal guard to Adrian and Isolde, lover of Soren, and is also part of that tight inner circle. And then we got Safira, who is Adrian's 
favored vassal, which is the blood bag, the dinner. And she's a shit stirrer. And then we have Anna Maria, who's Adrian's cousin. She's a healer. She's a vampire. And she's also part of the inner circle. And then we have Tanaka, who is Adrian's viceroy counselor. He's also a vampire and a part of the inner circle. And then we have King Dragos. He's the former king of Cordova. Adrian killed him. He's a hater of magic and witches. And finally, we got Ravenna. She is a former member of the High Coven, personal witch to King Dragos, and does like portal mirror magic. So those are going to be the characters that you kind of see throughout the book. Like Alex said, we're trying a little bit of a different plot breakdown. So let's get into it. Yeah. I guess. (laughs) All right. So welcome to the fantasy world of Cordova, a land split in two. So there's the nine houses ruled by humans, and then... Rebecca, ruled by the Blood King and Vampire Adrian. So Princess Isolde of Laura, and a warrior in her own right, is currently on edge of her territory, waiting for news from her father, King Henry, to hear if there will be peace or battle with the Blood King. Isolde, who is frustrated with Laura's army uh, commander, Alec Killian, goes off to the woods to hunt to let off some steam. While in the woods, she gets attacked by Striga. They are humans that died during the blood plague who then came back to life as like these undead things. So how I think of them is they're like zombie vampires. They seek blood, but they have no humanity. They're, They're monsters. That's a good way to look at it. Like when I read that, I was like, are you kidding me? There's vampire zombies? Like the fuck (laughs) that's literally my worst nightmare but they're definitely more monster and creature versus the vampires yeah so she's out fighting one of these things which she manages to kill and then she notices a man who's also in the woods with her who was hunting that monster Isolde can tell this stranger is a vampire and he heals her wounds they have a flirtatious exchange and then they part when Isolde returns to her home in Lara She learns King Adrian will be visiting to finalize the peace treaty with her father. Upon his arrival, Isolde realizes Adrian is the vampire that she encountered in the woods. Adrian now has a new term for the peace deal. He wants Isolde to be his queen. King Henry and Commander Killian would rather go to war with the vampires than let this happen, but Isolde agrees to the terms to save her people. Isolde's inner circle, after kind of becoming okay with this idea, convince her that she needs to get as close to Adrian as possible and kill him. The night of their wedding, when they take things to the bedroom, she tries to do this, but is very easily thwarted by Adrian, and he informs her if she tries to kill him again, he will turn her into a vampire. As Isolde is preparing to leave Lara with Adrian, his vampire lesion, She gets the first taste of her people turning on her. Killian and her maid are upset she has not yet killed Adrian and instead has been enjoying sex with him. How dare her? How dare her like sex with the sexy vampire? Isolde refuses to ride in a carriage because they are targets and she is right because early in the journey to the Red Palace, citizens of Laura attack the queen's carriage and try to kill Isolde. Isolde is upset that her people have turned on her when she has sacrificed herself for them. After the attack, they come upon a village still in Lara, and all the residents are dead and have been killed by magic, not by vampires. 
When they make camp for the evening, Isolde gets her first glimpse of how vampires feed, and it looks pretty intimate and sexual. Isolde lets it be known she does not want Adrian fucking his blood source. To his credit, he isn't, and agrees that he won't. Isolde will be his only lover. However, the blood bag vessels in question, Sephira isn't happy about things, and start some drama with Isolde. She gets the last laugh when Adrian agrees to stop feeding from her and expresses how if Isolde let him feed from her, he would have no use for anyone else. Isolde is not ready for that yet though, but still very much enjoys the sex that she's having with Adrian. I mean, it seems like some good sex, so can't blame her. While traveling to the Red Palace at the first village, in Sedovia, Azold learns from Soren, those who wish to become vampires, the transformation must be approved by Adrian, and those who turn humans without approval are destroyed. All the inhabitants of Sedovia have been massacred, and while searching the town for clues to what's happened, Azold discovers a little girl who at first ap- appears to be very frightened and then turns on Azold, appearing possessed and attacks Azold. Since the wound was a magical wound, Adrian can't heal it. But one of his inner circle, Anna Maria, would be able to once they reach the castle. Upon reaching the Red Palace, Isolde is taken to her quarters where she meets Anna Maria, who heals her and introduces her to her human lady-in-waiting, Violetta. Violetta preps Isolde a bath with some jasmine oil, and that scent starts to trigger some familiar feelings. Violetta and Anna Maria help Isolde get ready for the evening's festivities, where she would be expected to dance with Adrian. When Isolde arrives, she spots Safira near the throne with Adrian, and Isolde is not happy. She pulls Lothian, the palace librarian, aside for the first dance out of spite, and also because she doesn't like being told what to do. Once their dance is over, a nobleman tries to dance with Isolde, but he's turned down. Not being able to take no for an answer, he starts to get aggressive and handsy with Isolde, who then stabs him. Adrian then beheads him for disrespecting his queen and reminds his subjects that his queen is a warrior first and any slight against her is one against him. The couple dance and talk about the events and feelings of the evening, and then Adrian kisses Isolde very passionately. That was a good kiss. Yeah, for sure. The father of the slain nobleman demands vengeance for his son and is dismissed, but not without threatening Adrian and his old first. Derek informs the couple that there was an attempted coup on Laura and his old's father, thankfully, is safe. And then Adrian, like, winds up sending more men to protect him. Because she asks. Yeah. Good vampire. After the festivities, Isolde is taking a bath and has a dream about her and Adrian, where she wakes to Adrian in the bath with her, and she thanks him for sending the additional men to protect her father. They take things to the bedroom and begin some spicy activities, starting with Adrian going down on Isolde as things are about to go further into a more intimate and, like, loving, passionate manner versus... Fucking. Hate nasty fuck sex. Making love versus fucking. Yeah. Zold is not ready for this intimacy and kicks Adrian out. Loki freaks out. Yeah. Loki has an internal panic attack. Yeah. And freaks out. Is like, get the fuck out. Leave me alone. Stop. And then he starts freaking out because then he thinks that he physically hurt her. But like, he's great because he listens to her. Like, he literally stops mid pump Mm -hmm. and leaves her. Yeah. And he's like, are you all right? Did I hurt you? 
And she's like, no, but I need you to leave. And he's like, all right. Yep. So he bids his queen good night. While Isolde is newly in the Red Palace, she continues to have dreams, visions, memories. We don't quite know what these little murky things are about herself and Adrian. And they're all very like lovey. Yes. Like they're all very like they're a couple in these memories or dreams or like a well established couple that like clearly love and trust and like confide in one another. Like they're very And so she's also very confused because she's like, it's obviously me, but like what? What is this? Like, and I she has understand. no c- recollection of this ever happening. And she can also tell slight differences between Adrian in these visions versus the Adrian that she has like come to know. And Adrian is immediately treats her as his queen and his equal while she's in the Red Palace, and he invites her to attend council and like territory meetings, and like meetings with the subjects of Rebecca. Yeah, because when he proposes the, I want her as my queen, he is like, I want a queen. A queen. Yeah. Like, not just, I don't want a wife who's just going to sit idly by. Like, I want a queen who will rule with me. Yeah. So he's he follows through. I mean, he really involves her in, like, the politics. And, like, a true partnership. He yeah. definitely treats her as an equal and a partner from the jump. Which is very different from how her dad, the king, mm-hmm. and... Commander Killian treat her back home. Yeah. So this, you know, gives her more conflicting feelings. And slowly and surely, the more Isolde interacts with the people and the inner circle of Rebecca and Adrian, she starts to question everything she was brought up to know about magic and the vampires. Especially one day when she's in the library and one particular book that's like in a glass case Like, it starts, it calls to her. She's very drawn to this book. And it causes her to have a vision about the witches from the past and learn about the night of the great burning when, like, the High Coven, which is um, made up of, like, 12 or 13 of, like, the best witches throughout the land, were all burned to death. And that was, like, 200 years ago Mm -hmm. from, like, when this book is taking place. Yeah. So it's very much, like, I was getting very much Salem witch trials. Like, just, if you're a witch, you're going to burn. Yep. And we learn that a witch, Ravenna, who Adrian has been searching for for many years, is probably the one responsible for the red mist and the death of the two different towns. And she is trying to destroy Adrian. But her real target is Isolde. For one reason being Isolde is Adrian's weakness. Isolde joins Adrian on a hunt during, like, there's a festival that Adrian hosts every year as, like, um, to honor those who died in the great burning and everything and all the death that happened afterwards there was a lot of death in this book and on this hunt she gets confronted by Ravenna who hints that there's more between her and Adrian than she knows and if only she would partake in the blood ritual would she have all the answers but Ravenna is happy about Isolde being in the dark as this currently works to her advantage with her villainous plans there winds up being another red mist attack in Adrian's kingdom, and Anna Maria's lover is a part of the missing in this attack. During a feast, someone tries to poison Isolde. Thankfully, she survives, and she is growing to appreciate Adrian as as she has learned more about his past, the High Coven, King Dragos, and just kind of a new perspective on the history that she's been taught, because she was taught a very 
warped and skewed version. Yeah, this is like a prime example of like history has two sides Mm -hmm. and that you might really only know one and it might not be the right one. After recovering from the assassination attempt with the poison, Isolde gets a visit from her father and Commander Killian at the Red Palace because Isolde's about to be coronated as queen. Zold begins to learn of a witch of the High Coven, Yanessa, that Adrian was once in love with. And Zold looks a lot like her. And she thinks Adrian is still in love with Yanessa. And this hurts Zold as she's realizing she's falling in love with Adrian. And so she's starting to doubt his feelings for her as being genuine because she looks a lot like this great love of his later Killian confronts Isolde for her feelings for Adrian and she puts the commander in his place Isolde and Adrian finally confront the elephant in the room of Yanessa and their feelings for each other which leads them to having sex and Adrian feeding from Isolde when this happens Isolde's past unlocks and she learns that she is Yanessa reincarnated and since they have finally completed the blood ritual Adrian is now vulnerable so if he's old dies he dies and then also with the bloodletting i know you said briefly but it did bring back all of her memories yeah. of yanessa like mm-hmm. being that witch yeah and being burned at the stake mm-hmm. alive yeah and having to watch her 12 sister witches die right. something about like this kind of awakening like her realization and these memories that kind of were suppressed that come back it's like, it's so heartbreaking because when she was Yanessa, she was the last to burn because mm-hmm. Drogos really had an issue with her. Yeah, because he wanted her to be like his witch. Right. And she was like, no, because he was a bad guy. He was mm-hmm. a bad king. And then her and Adrian, Adrian was Drogos's captain of the guard, captain of the guard. And I guess them being together was kind of like he didn't like that. And so he also, before they burned her, like beat him mm-hmm. in front of her. And made Adrian watch her get burned. Adrian watch her die. But Yanessa's like witch power is prophecy. She's like a seer. Yeah. So she could, so she, as she's like dying, as she's burning alive, she's like having a prophecy. And like she knows that Adrian is going to survive and like wreak havoc. And it like gives her peace. Because she knows that he's meant to still be in this world. Yeah. And, like, she kind of then dies peacefully as much as you can when you're being burned at the stake. She doesn't show that she's suffering from the manner of execution. Right. But, like, that, reading that. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. I was like, this is rough. It was intense. It was very intense. We learn how Adrian and the vampires came to be once Yanessa was burned. Adrian begged the goddess Dis to let him live and seek revenge against those responsible for her death. And obviously, Adrian's wish was granted. The next evening, it's time for Isolde's coronation. And when Isolde is visiting with her father, he pleads for her to kill Adrian. She informs him the only way to kill Adrian is to kill herself. After the coronation ceremony, Ravenna attacks the Red Palace. In the chaos of the attack and the red mist spreading, everyone splits up. And Ravenna is after the Book of Dis, which is a book of spells that Yanessa wrote. Azold's father attempts to kill her during the mayhem. He fails, so Azold winds up killing him to save herself. Ravenna and Azold have another confrontation. After she kills her father, Azold wounds Ravenna by throwing a dagger at her through a mirror since Ravenna's 
power is portal mirror magic. Ravenna, however, does not die. She makes it away, and she also has the Book of Dis. When Adrian and Isolde reunite, they realize one of the four in a circle members are a traitor because someone let it slip to Ravenna of their bloodletting. They are now determined more than ever to find and kill Ravenna and the Book of Dis since it's a book of dark magic that could raise the dead. The end. So something that I find really funny with the end of the book is before the attack of this red mist on the palace, Adrian is like talking to Isolde and is like, because remember, they're bloodletted. So like he, she is now his biggest weakness. Yep. And they're like talking before like panic ensues. And he's like, I will always protect you. Like nothing's going to hurt you. And then like he hears that there's like an attack, leaves her completely unguarded. Like right after this grand declaration. Right after this. And then like Revena shows up. The red mist shows up. Her dad her tries to kill, her. to kill her. Like, I just thought it was really funny. It was very ironic. Your one job, the the one, like, oath you swore, you immediately She almost died it up. five times over. Mm-hmm. Which means you almost died. Like, thank God that she's, like, this tough bitch. And yeah. And knows how to fight and defend herself. Like, oh, my gosh. I just thought reading that, I was, like, chuckling to myself. It was really funny. But yes, A King of Battle and Blood by Scarlet St. Clair. So now it is time to dish on our favorite tension slash sexy scenes. Let's have the smut talk. Hey. Alrighty. So my favorite tension scene of this book occurred in chapter five before Adrian and Isolde's wedding. So Adrian comes to Isolde's room. There's some, you know, banter he can smell her arousal calls her out on it adrian then kisses is old and she gives in opening her mouth he groans and pushes her back so that she's on the vanity so he kind of like carries her across the room and gets her like on the vanity so she's kind of like straddling him yeah. type of thing love it get it so she's very much into this makeout session and is thinking about how it would feel to have him inside of her And he tells her to ask that out loud, which shatters the spell Adrian casted on Isolde. And she learns that Adrian can read minds. So this is where we learn that he's a mind reader, is in this, like, scene. Yep. Where she's thinking, I wonder what it would be like to have him inside me. And he's like, say that again. (laughs) Like, say that out loud. (laughs) And she's like, the fuck? And she's like, wait, 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 huh? Way to kill the mood. So it it does. It, It totally kills the mood, um, ends their makeout session, but he makes the comment, at least we have something fun to look forward to, consummating our marriage, which is literally happening like later that night. Yeah. I think the scene, he goes in and checks in on her prior to the wedding, so she's already in all of her wedding garb and everything. And so he's like, hey, at least I know that there is passion in that. Tonight's going to be fun. Yeah, look forward to it. And then he leaves. <laughs> <laughs> That was a good one. And so following it up, my favorite smutty scene of the first half is in chapter six, which is with the wedding night. So this scene, I like it for multiple reasons. So it first starts off, it's their wedding night, Isolde's in some sexy clothing. She does get some questions answered before Adrian takes her to bed and starts to go down on her. So she's kind of like, before we like have sex... There's some things I need to, we need to discuss. So, like, they kind of have this, like, conversation about random things. He goes down on her. And this is where she ends up stabbing him with the knife Nadia gave her. 
And he stops. And he like storms out of the room and he's like, if you're going to kill me, I'm not going to fuck you. Right. He's like, if you're going to try to kill me, I'm going to leave. And so like she goes to bed kind of frustrated. She is into this. She's very attracted. There's like this tether to them that she can't deny. But she feels like a traitor because her people, like, it's just... She's she's been brought up to hate vampires, and here she is, like, wanting to fuck one. Right. So she falls asleep after the stabbing attempt, and he leaves. She wakes up, and Adrian is back in her room. She walks over to him and tries to straddle him, but he stops her, turns her around, and pushes her over the bed. He asks if she can handle this as he's like, you know, rubbing his dick all up on her. Can you take this dick? (laughs) She obviously says yes, and he starts to fuck her. He tells her to be as loud as she wants so all can hear. Wake the whole damn castle. Mainly Commander Killian. And he literally says, be as loud as you can so the commander can hear you. Because Adrian knows that her and Killian used to like hook up. So he's also a little petty jealous. Oh, definitely. She's not the only one. Like, Adrian definitely is too. So she comes, and he flips her and lays her on the bed, and he checks in with her. He's kind of like, you good? He's like, yeah. Give it to me. He then starts to go down on her again while fingering her. She comes and notices that Adrian has not come yet. So she straddles him and asks if he wants to come inside her or in her mouth. Adrian takes option mouth. She then starts to give him a really good blowjob that he is really into. He comes, she swallows, and he tells her, I knew I liked your mouth. She's also sassy. Yeah. Like, she's not one to roll over either. He likes the filthy words that comes out of her mouth and the filthy things she does with the tongue to his dick. Win, 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 win. All around. (laughs) So, yeah, there were a lot of things in that sex scene that I really liked. And it was, like, the first one, and it it was pretty good. It was good. It was steamy. I liked it. So I don't really have a favorite tension moment for the second half. There's really no tension because now they're just really like. Because they've been they've been <laughs> fucking for a while at this at that point, and I feel like the tension moments are kind of like the dreams, which doesn't I, I don't know doesn't feel fair. So I have two favorite sex scenes, and I'm gonna go into depth of one of them. So my favorite favorite. Um, is when it's been four days since his old and Adrian have last had sex, like when she freaked out when things were like getting like too intimate, intimate. Mm-hmm. and she sent him away. So emotional intimacy has uh, is is old shutting down. Yeah, she can't handle that, and so he leaves her alone for a bit and has her stewing because this whole time she's kind of like I want to oh, fuck him. Where is he? Where is he? <laughs> so she goes looking for him and she goes to his room to find a naked Safira in his bed. And Safira lets Isolde think that they've been fucking for the last few nights. So Isolde, she goes and confronts Adrian about this. And he handles business by going right up to the hussy and wringing her a new asshole for her lies and making Isolde doubt his fidelity. And then he throws her in the dungeon for every night she made Isolde think that he was sleeping with her. Loved that. Oh, that was fantastic. So after that scenario gets wrapped up, Adrian tells Azold to take from him what she wants. And she does. So she straddles him and starts kissing him and then commands that Adrian takes his clothes off all the while they're having this like love-hate banter. They begin to fuck. And then during a break, Azold goes to Adrian's desk and bends across it. And he begins 
to fuck her from behind on the desk, which was great. After that session, he takes her to bed, and he begins to try to have another intimate coupling. Um, Azold, still not ready, and she needs to be in control right now because she feels... Not in control. Yeah. (laughs) So she winds up, like, pushing him down, and she gets on top of him, and she lets him know that she is tired of the women of the court telling her how they have pleased her husband, Like, she doesn't know how to do it and that she's never going to be enough for him. So she starts to ride his dick until they both finish. And she's like, they're going to know it's all about me. That was really good. That was good. It was really good. That was good. Because, you know, Isolde does take a lot of shit from people at both courts. Mm -hmm. She's getting shit from her people. Like, they're trying to kill her. And then she's also getting shit from the, like, higher vampires of the courts being like the girls are jealous because Adrian is obviously the king and fucking hot and they want him. So they're trying to make her jealous. Then you have like the males of court who are like, why the fuck is the king marrying a human human. and giving her shit and being like, you're a distraction taking away from the king's main focus. Yep. You wench. She gets shit on a lot. All angles. Like thankfully she has her two um, handmaidens who like are her, friends and yeah. like keep her sane because and then also the vampires of like the inner, inner circle like Soren and Mia and Anna Maria like they and then even Lothian in the library and she starts to form a friendship yeah. with so she she starts to make allies but she has a whole lot more enemies and people gunning for her than people who actually have her back but she kind of looks at that and is like come at me bro because I will destroy each and every fucking one of you oh yes she will and then I also really did love the scene where they finally actually like made love for the first time and did the bloodletting that was really sweet because every other sex scene was like you know hate nasty fuck sex yeah and then this that one too like with the bloodletting obviously that's like a little extra spice being thrown in obviously with the vampire that's the only time that they have sex where he takes from her i think in this book yeah but yeah really good scene too I have to say, all of the sex scenes were very good. Mm-hmm. I was very pleased. And it wasn't a super, super slow burn. Because she, they, they fucks chapter six. Yeah. And then it kind of ebbs and flows because they're still enemy, like the enemies to lovers still kind of going on. And she's battling with like being attracted to him and having these feelings for him. And, and feeling like a traitor because she wants to have sex with this vampire. Yeah. And then as she starts to kind of relearn history from... A more accurate point of view. She starts to struggle with that because, you know, it goes against everything she's ever known and been taught and believed. So then, like, she has issues having sex with him as she's, like, struggling with learning. So I think that should bring us into just, you know, loves and hates. Yes. Let's get it. So my first love, pretty basic. I really, I'm a huge fan of vampire romances for some reason. I think it's because of Twilight ruined me at a young age and now I I really (laughs) fuck with like vampire romances um and I also really like the Faded Mates theme I actually am a huge fan of Faded Mates I love that shit like I like the reincarnation and how he's been waiting for her and like the whole reason he's taking over Cordova is to find her and get revenge and get revenge on the people who took her away beautiful and he's a vampire like Supernatural things are kind of hot. Like, not gonna lie. Like, let's go. <laughs> you're not wrong. Yeah. So, like, I. Really I mean, you're wrong about Twilight, but like everything okay, else how is about correct. The Vampire Diaries. <laughs> the Vampire Diaries. I read those books and watched those shows at a young age too. I didn't. I was True Blood. True Blood. I got into later in my life. But yeah, vampires here for it. 
Faded mates, here for it. Okay, what's your first love? When Isolde stabs Isaac, I thought that was, like, a really fun scene. Yeah, because he, she's, like, sneaking into the vampire camp. He comes up on her, grabs her. She's a warrior. Yeah. Stabby stab. Stab stab. She's like, the fuck? He's like, the fuck? She just stabbed me. And Adrian's like, well, you touched her. She can, she can stab you. It's fine. Yeah, like, don't. Don't touch her. <laughs> that wasn't good. Either she stabbed you or I stab you. Or I decapitate you. Isolde is a fantastic lead. Oh my goodness, yes. She is feisty. She's her own person. And no man is going to control her. Plus, she's diverse. She's like mixed. Mm-hmm. And is kind of a curvier. Like her body and the like diversity. Like she's very different than your normal leading lady in romances. Yes. And I'm here for her throughout. Like, she's a bad bitch. There was a lot of diversity with, like, the character descriptions. It wasn't just a bunch of white people. Because her mom comes from, like, an island, Mm -hmm. which is depicted as being darker skinned versus, like, her dad, who is depicted as white. Yep. But even some of, like, the vampires were people of color, which was wonderful. Yeah, I love to see it. Because so many vampire books, all the vampires wind up being white. Yeah, so I... Overall, like, Scarlet, including just, like, more diversity, plus Isolde just being very fierce. I never was annoyed with her. Mm-mm. And this is a this is a sole POV. It is only in yeah, Isolde's... Even when she was struggling, like, her struggles made sense. And she was trying... Yeah, because she was actually trying to work through it, and she, like, allowed herself to see that there is a possible other side to the story and she just she she was great she was wonderful fantastic so great i also loved adrian as the male lead heck yeah he is like the perfect book bad boy love interest yeah because adrian is so understanding so respectful of his old respectful like allows her to take her time and i love how he doesn't because he winds up figuring that as old as yesnia like very quickly and I feel like a lot of other stories, when the male figures out his faded mate thing, he'd be like, hey, here's the thing. Love me. Love me. You're love supposed me. to love yeah. me. Here's here's all. I'm going to just overload you with information. And he doesn't do that. He lets her but figure also, it out. Isn't it kind of a low-key curse on where, like, he couldn't forcefully take from her. She has to, like, consent. It's something to do with, like, the memories of her being reincarnated. Like, there were... Not necessarily guidelines he had to follow. There would have been consequences if he didn't. So he had to make sure that she got there on her own terms, but he does it so well. Like he, yeah. he, he never complains no. about it. Well, I mean, we don't get his point of view, but it just it doesn't seem like he ever takes his frustration out on her. No, I think that this. you can tell that he gets frustrated with her, but he never actually acts on it. Yeah. Like it's more so in just like, the looks that he gives where she's like, oh God, I can tell that he's like annoyed or like the tone Mm -hmm. of his responses, but it's never, he never punishes her for it. No, he just leaves her the fuck alone Yeah, and lets her get over it. And then, and like, he doesn't try to find a loophole by like making someone like in the inner circle, tell her the things like he's just fantastic. And then, you know, the fact that anyone slights her, he kills them. That's also great. Love it. Love it. So something that is like a really minor detail, but I loved was at their wedding. Adrian is feeding. They're, like, doing the breaking of bread. Mm-hmm. And so he is feeding Isolde the bread, and she bites his finger on purpose, like, pretty hard. Like, she yeah. chomps down on it, and he, like, looks at her, and he goes, I like teeth. 
or like his like response was like not what she was because she was hoping for like anger she's trying to get under his skin like and he's just like bite all you want baby I love teeth and it's just so funny because he's like a vampire <laughs> bring it to the bedroom <laughs> and then also like because she's always like I'm gonna stab you and he's like is that a promise like give it to me let's get like okay <laughs> like you're gonna draw blood I'm here for it it's like those small things that Scarlet kind of like sneaks in is like really entertaining yeah, there was some really good funny moments throughout this book. I kind of loved all the drama with, like, the women of the court. It just very much gave me, like, how a royal court would be, especially with, like, an outsider coming in. And then even in Laura, how she had issues with the women of her own court because she was a warrior first, a princess second, and some of the other, you know, ladies-in-waiting were kind of like, um, we just want to be princesses. We don't want to get our hands dirty. So overall, I loved, loved the story, the plot, and the, like, love arcs. Mm -hmm. So I really, I loved the, like, are the bad guys really bad plot twist where it's, like, the vampires were a consequence of humans being fucking shitty. Yes. Because Adrian gets turned into a vampire after the old king kills all these witches and then goes for their families and like is on a witch hunt and he is like i want revenge and so the goddess dis gives him that and vampires are created as a consequence of humans actions but you know is old growing up as a human was always the vampires are the bad like they wreak havoc for because no of the vampires is why we have no magic and Right, but it's like plot twist, not really the story. Yep. You're reading what was written from your point of view of your ancestors, essentially. Who are basically just trying to hide the fact that they were shits. I also like with the love arc, I love their progression. I felt that it was a very good pace, specifically for Faded Mates, because a lot of times with Faded Mates, it's instant. It's mm-hmm. kind of like that instant love, instant. We lock eyes and we know. Right? I like how this one was a Faded Mates, but it was low-key secret. Through most of the book, you don't know that Isolde is the reincarnation of Yesnia until, like, the very end of the book. So through this whole thing, you don't really know that they're fated mates until, oh my god, they're fated mates. I'm like, I love that. I like how was that great. was a secret. I also, I kind of to piggyback on the fated mates thing, I loved all the flashbacks to Isolde being Yesnia and her kind of learning things through, like, these dreams and since Isolde is a human and she she's not born a witch in this reincarnation in life. So it's almost and with Yesnia being a seer, it's almost like that seer magic trickled over kind of. Yeah, but just like, from these like daydreams. Right. And like when she is in familiar places where she once was in her past life, she starts like to deja vu. Yeah. It's kinda like that deja vu sensitive. Kind of sticking on that wavelength, something that I really love that we didn't talk about with the plot breakdown, but something that was a common theme is Isolde's fear of fire. Mm-hmm. She is terrified. And then it winds up making sense because she was burned a lot. So like I love that like you learn about her fear of fire in chapter one. Like it's literally one of the first things where she is like she's trying just to like stay away from the fire that's like in the like room or wherever she is. And then it's something that constantly like Adrian even asks her because he notices that she like flint like stays away and he's kind of like why are you like what's with the fire? And she's just like I've always been afraid of fire. He's like have you ever been burned and she's like no it's just like this fear that i've always had and then like she fucking was killed by 
fire and it's just like oh my god like I loved how that got tied up and like connected Beautiful. like it was just like one thing that I did not see coming whereas I was reading I was like what the fuck's with her and then as slowly I started to catch on being like maybe this is like a reincarnation thing like it wouldn't and then yeah. when it's confirmed you're like oh my gosh it's just beautiful like really well done I really liked Lothi and the librarian. And their little relationship. Yeah. I did too. And he's like, he's a vassal for this other male vampire. And like him and his old Who's also like a researcher. And she like catches them fucking in the library. She just minds her own business, continues searching for her books. It's like, it's really cute. Another love. So something that is a huge plus for me as like an avid reader is when something is written just so well. And this book was written so well. I could not put this book down. It was so good. It was so good. And I think, like, obviously, like you said at the beginning of the episode, Alex and I have both read, uh, like, the Touch of Malice, Touch of Darkness, the Hades Persephone series Mm -hmm. that Scarlett writes. Both all the touch books that have been released and the game of. And like her writing is just flawless. Like I've always thought that her writing was really good and it's something that I read. It's just, it's so addicting. And mm. like this book is no different. I could not set this book down. Like It definitely has its own flair. And I think it definitely is, as far as writing style, I think there's, and just, you know, Scarlett's ability to write a story is good on both of them but I can see how the Hades Persephone thing isn't for everyone and I feel like fantasy vampires speaks to more people so I would say give this book a read if you weren't a Hades Persephone fan like retry Scarlet's writing with this book it's so good and, it, and it's definitely different vibes and I think um you know a love for me is I think that Scarlet did great world building because this is a completely fantasy made up world it's not like Hades Persephone where it's a mixture of real world and fantasy. It's solely fantasy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she gives enough information throughout the book without info dumping. So it's not just like shoving jargon down your throat at the very beginning. She gives us enough in the beginning. And then there's still more to learn as this book progresses. And I feel like there's going to be even more that we learn as this series goes on. So I'm glad it just wasn't like just heavy. Like, here's everything you need to know about Cordovia and all the things. And because that's a turnoff for me. And kind of piggybacking my last love that I have. With this being a series, obviously I have tons of questions and I'm super intrigued for what book two will bring and the rest of the series. I think there's three. Is that what we found? That there's going to be potentially three? Yeah, and then I wonder if we're going to then get Adrian's point of view. I don't know. I couldn't find anything to confirm that. Yeah, but like with book two, I mean, obviously like Revna, she's out in the wind. So like there's obviously a traitor amongst, there's still the red mist. There's still like, there's still the other vampires and coming after her. Like I am just, I'm very, very excited. Yeah, and then something we didn't touch on in the plot breakdown is we also found out that Azold's mother, like where her people are from, they've all been enslaved by another territory. And so we have that to deal with because Isolde wants justice for her mother's people and wants to free them from enslavement. So that's going to be a thing in the series. So yeah, there's still a lot of things floating around. Yeah. And I wish that the second book was already out because I would have started it. I would have instantly gone on to book two, but gotta wait, gotta be patient. <laughs> But all right, those were our loves. We had a lot of them. And to be honest, I don't have that many hates. I have a 
few. So my first hate, I think that a lot of our hates are going to be like very obvious hates. My first one is Killian and King Henry keeping Isolde down. Yeah. So at the beginning of the book, when she is still in Cordova at the castle. At Laura. At Laura. It's very obvious that like King Henry, she's the heir, but like the king will rule. They don't involve her in councils. They don't really involve her in the politics. She's more just this figurehead. And both Killian and her dad do it. Killian sucks. Oh, he so sucks. He's very, like, he's very much a misogynist. Yes. And Ugh. Isolde is... He gaslights. He, he, he's also a gaslighter. That, too. And then also, like, Isolde is very, like, in touch and, like, with her body and, like, very proud of, like, her, her curves sexuality. and sexuality. Yeah. So she dresses, like, a little bit more provocatively than probably other Women. women and Killian's always like cover up you're showing too much skin whereas Adrian is like babe you look great love it stunner like yeah give me more yes and like that's yeah he's like I don't care if anybody looks they look too hard or they touch I'm gonna kill them right but like fucking get it yeah love a supportive bow yeah <laughs> and not a gaslighting dick we oh and then he them. always rats um, as old out to, to King Henry when she like leaves her room or like just wants to escape the castle for a while and like have a moment of peace. He's always like tattling on her. Right. And then also King Henry and Killian kind of go behind her back and King Henry's like, yo, Killian, you kill Adrian. I'll let you marry is old. And then like he tells her that and she's like, do not get yourself killed for me because that's exactly what you would do. She's like, if it was my choice, I wouldn't marry either of you goons. Like, Yeah, because Isolde never wanted to get married. No, no, she didn't. She wanted to be, like, a queen, like, ruling by herself, like, doing yeah. her own thing. And, like, the misogynistic views of Killian and Henry, I'm just like, ugh. Not, not down with it. Ugh. But, again, I feel like we're supposed to hate them. Yes. So job well done on yes. that, Scarlet. And I think to piggyback off of that, I hate all the bad people, like Safira, Ravenna, the old king that, you know, thankfully Adrian did kill. Um, the he, vamps in Adrian's... Yep, the noblest people. Because there's definitely issues after Adrian beheads one of the guys for touching Isolde because he's part of a line or whatever. Yeah, and then, like, his dad winds up being fucking creepy and just... There's a lot of shitty characters in this. There's a lot of great characters. There's a lot of shitty characters. But, you know, we're supposed to hate them, so hate the shitty characters. Again, job well done on that. I hated the scene where Isolde's people turn on her in the woods on their way to yes oh my god that was so sad and like in that scene they're obviously like fighting the vampires and Isolde is not in a carriage she's on a horse she's horseback so she gets involved in the fight and like has to kill her own people yeah because her people she's kind of like yo it's me like what are you doing and they're coming at her and she's like defending herself and she has to kill like two or three of her own people yeah and they're like saying horrible things to her and they're, yeah, and they're kind of Calling like her a traitor and a whore. And and she's like, bitches, I'm doing this for you. Like, I'm trying to save y'all because the vampires, we cannot beat them. And if you think you can beat them, you're already dead. Yeah. So it's kind of like she's struggling because she's like, I'm doing this as a sacrifice. But people are. They don't care. Yeah. So I hate how one of the inner circle is the traitor. That is going to break me. <laughs> And we talked about this. In length. <laughs> in length. And so I think that Tanaka, the viceroy, it's the red herring. Like, it just... It too would, obvious. Too obvious of a choice. We think it's going to 
wind up being either Derek or Soren. Leaning more towards Soren. And if it's one of them, it's going to shatter my soul. I'm like, as much as I'm excited about book two, I like already am like, this is going to hurt so bad because like I low-key love Soren. In this book, like he's one of my favorite tight-knit vampires. And if it is him, I just... I'm going to throw something. I feel like I'm going to have a mental breakdown. I will probably throw the book. Yeah, I will cry. And I'll be texting you being like, I can't. Everything is a lie. <laughs> like, we grow too attached to <laughs> Way too books. attached to fictional characters. But yeah, when I when we learned that there was a traitor, I was like, of course there's a traitor. And of course it's going to be one of, like, his best friends. Yeah, because Scarlet has already broken us on a few things with, like, within Hades. the Hades and Persephone series. So it's like, she's going to break us in this one. Oh, you know it's coming. It's going to be gnarly. Oh. It's going to be gruesome. I'm ready and not ready for it at the same time. So King Henry trying to kill his daughter for the greater good. Yeah, fuck off with that. But what I can tell you, though, as soon as she confides in her dad and is like, I'm the weakness. The only way to kill Adrian is to kill me. And she's thinking my dad would never hurt me. I'm like, bitch, your dad is about to kill you (laughs) or try to kill you. And then that's exactly what happened. I was like. Uh, and then also how he knew about Isolde's mother's people becoming enslaved and yes. doing absolutely nothing about it and hiding it from her. Like, that was your wife. Yeah. Like, her people are now slaves. And you didn't jack shit about it. And what breaks me about King Henry is I don't... I think you're going to have different... I think you're going to have a different opinion on this. In the beginning of the book, I actually, besides for the fact that King Henry was still kind of, like, trying to keep her down on, like, her queenly, like, duties... Their relationship, like, they seem like they were very close and that he really does love Isolde. But it was just, like, it's one of those things where it's, like, as a king, what matters more, my people or, like, one, like, my daughter? Like, as fucked up as that is, you see it all the time in, like, TV and movies based on that type of, like, in that. No, I agree because, I mean, even when Adrian makes that little thing where, like, he wants Isolde as his queen, then Henry was ready to throw out the peace treaty. Right, he was he was about to be like, oh, we're going to go to war. And Isolde was like, no, Dad, please don't. I don't want that. Yeah, he definitely seemed like a loving, devoted father in the beginning. Which is what hurt me at the end when he ends up, like, pushing her down the stairs trying to kill her. I'm like, why? Did, like, why? Like, villain, like, why? Why are the parents always either dead or the or shit guys? But I knew I saw it coming as yeah. soon as that conversation happened. Definitely saw it coming. I was like, bitch. It's not going to be as, that's not as heartbreaking if the freaking traitor winds up being Soren or Derek. No, we're close. But still sad. My last two hates, Anna's love interest, Death, because she's the one that shows up with the red. The red mist. The red mist. She's the one that it's infected, that then spreads. So she obviously dies. Oh, yeah, that was heartbreaking. Anna didn't deserve to have her lover die like that. No. I mean, she didn't deserve to have her lover die, period. Right. Yeah, but as soon I also kind of picked up on that, I, I kind of theorized that somehow when we found out that she went missing, I was like... Oh, she's she, going to be dead. Like, she's she's going she's she's gonna to be, be that little girl. She's going to do the little girl thing. And, and she's going to cause some chaos. And then my last hate. I love vampires, don't get me wrong. 
but all the additional monsters can go fuck themselves. I know we only <laughs> mentioned one, <laughs> but throughout this book, it literally was like a new monster being talked about in almost every chapter. And I'm like, this is terrifying. I would not want to live in this world. Can we just, why are there other, like, why can't there just monsters? be monsters? I liked the monsters, but I like creepy things. I don't. I know. I don't like creepy crawlers. So it's going to be really funny for book two. That's queen of monsters, of mi- well, queen of myth and monsters. It's probably going to be even more. I know. It's fine. I'll deal with it. It's just not something I love. Oh, I do have one more hate. Oh, yeah. And this is really petty and really stupid of a hate, but I kind of hate that Isolde wasn't made into a vampire. You know it's coming. They're not going to do that in book one. I realize that. That's why I said it's kind of petty. And stupid. Yeah, no, that's going to be... I feel like if this is a trilogy, it'll be at the end of book two. It'll leave us on a cliffhanger of, like, is she turned or is she not? And then book three will start off with... Her being one? Yeah. That's just my guess. That's my educated guess. I'm here for that. But it was just, like, after the bloodletting, I was just kind of, like, ready for her to be turned. Or, or, do you think... Sorry, sidetrack. Going off into uh, theories. Do you think that they're going to be able to reverse the, like, curse... And they'll end up being human. Ooh. And vampires will no longer exist at I'm, the end of the series. I mean, that's a possibility, especially if um, Isolde can figure out how to unlock... Her magic? Yeah, in the or at least read the book of Dis that she created. Right. Because it's about dark magic, so there has to probably be a way to reverse. Right. A lot of things could go. And then we have more goddesses that we didn't touch, off, touch on in the um, plot breakdown. So maybe one of them will make an appearance or like, I don't know. And then something else that going off at this tangent, something Adrian says is he's like, once you get close to the gods, they don't really seem all that godly. So maybe we'll also get introduced to some of the ones that haven't been worshipped or. Or maybe even Dis. Yeah. And the counterpart of the light because Dis is darkness, right? And then they have a counterpart. Yeah, the, pe- goddess. the, the goddess that the people of Laura yeah. worship. There's a lot of ways this could go. All right, so those were all of our hates, all of our loves. Theories. Theories. <laughs> Bonus. <laughs> How about we go into our casting? Yes. And let's cast these mofos. And it's going to be quite a hefty casting. Yeah, who are we casting? We're casting Isolde, Adrian, King Henry, Killian, and Sephira. Perfect. So want to start us off with your Isolde? I really love my casting for Isolde. Who is it? It is Simone Ashley. She was in Bridgerton season two as our leading lady. You love casting from Bridgerton. I mean, they're great actors. And they're all freaking hot, too. I've never seen Bridgerton. Um, I need you to correct that mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'd start casting people from Bridgerton if I saw Bridgerton. (laughs) I'm here for that. So my Isolde, I cast the lovely... Natalie Emmanuel from Game of Thrones. Yes. She yeah. plays a warrior in Game of Thrones. You know she can do the it. The advisor to Khaleesi. Yes. All right, Adrian, moving on to our sexy male vampire. Dun, 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 dun. Who did you cast? I cast Cody Fern from American Horror Story. He played like the Antichrist Michael oh, in um, Apocalypse. Yeah. He's got that long blonde hair because Adrian has long blonde hair. Ooh, mm. angular jaw. Okay, very vampire. Yeah. Very vampire. I also think that my choice is a very vampire. He's also played... A vampire in Twilight. And that is the lovely Jamie Campbell Bauer. Yeah. I mean, our guys are very 
similar to each other. They have that angular, very defined, like, chin jawline. They got Mm -hmm. the longer blonde hair. Both kind of scream like Vampire King. Oh, totally. Can't go wrong with either choice. Yeah. All right. Who do you want to do next? Let's go King Henry. Okay. Who did you cast? I cast the lovely, talented Rufus Sewell. And what's it he in? He's been in a lot of stuff. Um, He's the most recent thing that I've seen him in is um, the TV show about uh, young Queen Victoria. He's a British actor. He's been in a lot of period Regency things. He's done good guy. He's done bad guy, which I think is perfect for King Henry since he starts out as good. And then transitions into being a villain. Yeah. So I went Sean Bean. Great choice. I mean, he's been a king. Yeah, he's been a king. He's done fantasy. I mean, he's been in Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones. Yep. He's I also could, a fantastic actor. He's a fantastic actor, and I could also see him doing that, like, duel. Starts out as the good guy, transition, ends up being the villain. Who's your Killian? All right. So my Killian, I went another vampire from Twilight. Hey. You talk about me casting a lot of Bridgerton people. I know. I went Kellen Lutz. I mean, that's... So I'm not I, mad at that choice at all. No, because my picturing of Killian is obviously he's got to be attractive. He's got to be hot. Like yeah. he's he's fucking the princess. Like there's got to be something that draws because his personality is not it. So it's definitely got. <laughs> it's got to be the looks. And like Callum Lutz gives me very attractive, but also I could see him being like douchey and like very. I hope like I know he's not hopefully misogynistic and stuff. But like, I could like, I think he could play that. He could play it. So who's your Killian? All right. So my Killian is Pablo Schreiber. He's in the new Halo TV show, movie, miniseries. I don't know what the fuck it is, but he was also in Orange is the New Black. Um, He was porn stash in Orange is the New Black. And he played like the best villain in Law and Order Special Victims Unit who like kidnapped Olivia Benson. So like he can be a bad person. And also I felt like he was kind of misogynistic as porn stash, but he's also hot. And like Killian... He does kind of redeem himself because he, he does. is he does end up by his old side at the very end of the book, like after He definitely has a good redemption arc. Yes. Which should have been included in Loves. Yeah. Like he definitely I'm I'm interested to see what's going to happen and come of him in book two. Yeah. Does he continue this like upward trajectory of like becoming better and kind of a hero? Or is he gonna crash and burn? Yeah. Or is she just going to send him away and be like, go back to Laura, command in my place sort of thing? Because he's the commander of the army. Their king is now dead. She's still technically their princess. Well, with the peace well, treaty, the Laura Adrian, is a part of them now. Right, Adrian now rules them. So maybe she'll be like, you need to go back and keep things... Orderly. Yeah. yeah. Which would be good. I mean, if he accepts that in a good manner... Yeah. That's still on the rise. Like, he's not It'll being... It'll be interesting to see his trajectory. Yeah. All right. Last but not least, Safira, who did you cast? I cast Erin Moriarty. She's in The Boys. She's very pretty. Mm-hmm. Blonde, petite, gorgeous. Yeah. Just think she could come in there and shake things up and... Because she's very... She's like the opposite of his old. Mm-hmm. So my casting, I went Gigi Hadid. I mean... Because I was picturing Safira as, like, low-key, like, superstar pretty. Like, supermodel pretty. Because she was the favored vessel of the, the king. king. So, there's got to be something that is the reason. Something alluring. Right. And blonde, leggy. 
Sure. Bitchy. <laughs> Why not? Not like Gigi's bitchy, but like the character. Yeah. Like bitchy, very petty. But yeah. with like Gigi, with Gigi's like model face, like I feel like she could, her face could just give bitchy. Yes, exactly. This. Exactly. In all the best ways. In all the best ways. So that is our casting. If you want to see some visual representation of our representation, go to the Instagram Emotions, Emotions and Potions, Potions Pod. That was very harmonized. We know each other too well. <laughs> Love it. Moving right into our playlist. Yeah, we got to give this book and adaptation. Someone please freaking adapt this book. Seriously, yeah. Got to give it a soundtrack. So my first song, um, the category that I kind of gave it was the overall Faded Mates theme. Ooh. Because I, like I said, I love that. I was a big fan. And the song is If We Ever Meet Again, Timberland and Katy Perry. Good one. They meet again. They do. So I have like an overall theme song for the book. And that's Lover, Fighter. I don't know how to say this band's name because it's one of those where it's like all capital letters that don't. Makes sense. I don't understand what word it's trying to be. (laughs) S-V-R-C-I-N-A. All right. Cool. (laughs) And what was the name of the the song again? Lover, Fighter. I actually just listened to that song today on the the playlist that's on Spotify, Emotions and Potions Pod. And I was thinking, I was like, oh, this is a good one. I liked it. All right. So I do not have like an overall theme song. But I do, my next category is Adrian's theme song while waiting for Yesenia to be reborn. So kind of like that theme yeah, is Tragedy by Always Never. Also, like her death was very tragic and very traumatizing and very sad. And yeah. (laughs) And that song is mm, tragic. My next category is kind of like all the betrayal that happened throughout the book. And it's The Devil Within from Digital Daggers. I like that theme. Because there was a, a lot of different yes. betrayals throughout this book. I like that. I did not do that either. So I'm glad that you did. Like I said before, I'm very basic and you're very... Uh, but not. overall, we hit all the things of the book, though, together. That's true. That's together, true. we complete each other. Together, we are one person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. My next is Isolde's theme song, which is Queen by Lauren Gray. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Right? Like, come on. Yeah. 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 So my next category for song choice is The War Against the Witches, and it's Witching Hour by In This Moment. Yes. Yes. Love that. My next category is Adrian and Isolde's theme song, and that is Panic at the Disco, Let's Kill Tonight. Yes. Because they like killing people, and they will kill for each other. They will kill for no reason. For fun. <laughs> for funsies. <laughs> with no second thought. I feel like they would make a bet with each other. Like, who could kill the most people in, like, a 24-hour period? I know. I think Adrian would win, but I think Isolde would... She'd be, like, caveat, like, no magic, super strength. You gotta get to my level. You gotta level. get to my level. <laughs> All right, so my next song um, is for Isolde on her trip from Laura to Rebecca. And it's Castle by Halsey. Yes. I'm heading straight to, to the, the castle. castle. They're going to make me the queen. Oh! Yes. You know I'm always. You include Halsey. I'm There's always. so many good Halsey <laughs> songs for this book. I didn't choose any. That's... I mean, you put a bunch on the playlist, though. Oh, I know. 
I, and I, I mean, I put this one on the playlist, so. Yeah, no, love that. That's so great. My next category, becoming queen of vampires as human. So this is kind of like Isolde's becoming the queen. And that is Help, I'm Alive by Metric. Yes. It just, like, gives me dark romance and, like, the whole song is just, like, yes. Like, mm -hmm. this is the embodiment of, like, what I would feel like if I was going into that situation. Mm -hmm. as so my next one is a song for Adrian without his love. So, like, all the time he was alone. Oh. And it's In Another Life, Crown the Empire, and Courtney LaPlante. Like that. It's a I really hate, sad song. I know. I hate that Adrian was alone for 200 years. My next category. So I'm going into a little bit of spicy. And this is Isolde's. Isolde? This is Isolde's sexy time song. Ooh. And it is, because I am low-key obsessed with this song recently. It is Super Freaky Girl by Nicki Minaj. He won F-R-E-A-K. -E -E <laughs> <laughs> I just love it so much. She's super freaky. Yeah, love, love it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Jinx. My last song category is like all the gossip, and it's, all the things she said as done by Poppy instead of Tattoo. Love that remix. That's a good one. I saw that on the playlist and I was like, oh, that was such a great song. And I know it's really supposed to be a song about like ladies loving ladies, but like. It doesn't have to it be. It doesn't have to. I feel like you could very much interpret it as like all the things that the women of the court are or saying, saying about. Or two. Yeah. As about old. About. And Adrian. Yeah. Adrian. Yeah. And my last song category is a vampire theme. Which is, like, more so, like, is old towards Adrian, which is Teeth by Lady Gaga. Show me your teeth. Yes. So, like, you gotta have some vampires. So we touched on the vampires. We touched on the witches. We touched on the king, like, castle. Like we characters, characters. Plot. Plots. Themes. Love it all. And there's even more. Like, I mean, we could keep going. We could go down, like, all 70-whatever songs about, like, why we picked it but um, you don't want to hear that. So just no. go to our Spotify, and listen. like the playlist, listen to the playlist. Read, read the book and listen to it. Yes. Emotions of the Potions pod. So let's wrap this up and rate this book. Alrighty. So my spice, I did give it a 3.5 out of five. Once again, you went higher than me. Really? Yeah. What did you do? I gave it a three. A three? Yeah. Originally, I think I had a four and I was like, was it a four? And I changed it to a 3.5. I gave it a 3. I mean, for it being, a, like, vampires, that, I didn't think it was, like, that crazy. No, it really wasn't. I mean, they fucked it's a lot. It's spicy, yeah. It's, they do have sex quite a bit. And there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of smutty scenes. But, yeah, there's nothing, like, crazy, crazy. No. We got one scene with blood, and it was, like, sweet. Right. It wasn't raunchy. Right. Fair enough, but like three, three, five in the same. Yeah, but ballpark. it's still explicit. It's still explicitly written sex scenes, so it's not going to be anything less than a three. And my overall ranking, nine out of ten. I gave it a nine and a half. Nine and a half out of ten. Because it's a damn near perfect book. So love or hate letter. Obviously a fucking love. Yeah, same. Times two. Loved it. Loved every second. Wish I could erase my memory so I could reread it as a fresh book. So damn it's good. It's so good. It's so good. Scarlet St. Clair kills it again. Pun intended. 
<laughs> Unintentional pun intended. But yeah, a king of battle and blood. Like, chef's kiss, hats off. Scarlet, we love you. I literally own a physical copy of all these fucking books. I know. <laughs> I'm staring at them right now. They're on their own shelf. Love it. 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 Just everything. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, so that's the end of the episode. We've revealed a lot of spoilers. We've casted. We've <laughs> soundtracked. We've given you predictions. We've given you predictions. We've given you our ratings. Yeah. Now, if you haven't read this book already, uh, why? 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 Get on it. So please be active with us. DM us. Like. Comment. Follow. Share. Share. Review. Review. Poke. Prod. I don't know. What, <laughs> don't a, what know else anything. do you do? I don't know. I mean, definitely follow us on Instagram and TikTok. We would love to get um, that follower count up so we can do more things. With the socials, yeah. Emotions and potions pod. Basically anywhere and everywhere. So that was another episode of Emotions and Potions. A love slash hate letter to A King of Battle and Blood by Scarlet St. Clair. And clearly it was a motherfucking love letter. Both Ash and Al heart it all the way. So. And then some. Yeah. Well, until next time. Bye. Bye.